Welcome to the Boss Lady Podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur climbing the corporate ladder or a work-from-home parent, you are a boss. If you desire to make your life extraordinary, to reach and exceed your personal and professional goals, and learn from other strong leaders, then the Boss Lady Podcast is for you. As an entrepreneur, mother, wife, and former CEO, I share lessons and stories of both personal and professional successes and failures. Join me along with a diverse list of guests as we break down strategies, tools, and techniques that will enhance your career and your life. Together, we will embrace, empower, and educate each other. I am Teresa Rand, and this is the Boss Lady Podcast. Hello out there, boss ladies and any boss men that are listening in, because today's topic is a great topic for both men and women. It is part two of the last podcast that I did a couple weeks ago. So if you haven't listened to the podcast from two weeks ago, you might want to go back and listen to it, although I'm going to do a quick recap, so you won't really miss a whole lot. Um, But before we do that, let me introduce myself. I am Teresa Rand, as you heard in the pre-introduction, and I am the founder of the Boss Lady Podcast, the Boss Lady Community, and also Teresa Rand Consulting, a firm specializing in working with companies and organizations using personality assessments such as Gallup Strengths, DISC, I had one called Codebreaker, lots of information on getting to know yourself and your employees, which ultimately improves all types of communication. So that's my commercial. Thank you so much for being here and listening. If you're a new listener, I think you'll love this particular episode. It's good information. And if you're a returning listener, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's so nice to have you come back and listen time and time again. So today's topic, we are going to continue to talk about the McKinsey and Company Report on Women in the Workforce 2023. This is the latest to come out from McKinsey and Company. I gave you all the stats last year, but thousands and thousands of people and many hundreds of companies were interviewed that this report was compiled from. So lots of really solid information from McKinsey and Company. They do this report every year, and I look forward to it and devour the information and then throw it out in little tidbits and blogs and articles and podcasts. So if you don't have time to read all 50 plus pages, you can get the gist of it from me. So last week, we talked about what was in the report about the four myths about women in the workplace. And then I promised you this week, we would talk about what can companies do do to overcome these, and I'm going to use the word issues because quite frankly, they are issues because women, we still are not acclimating or not uh, arriving at the C-suite in really great numbers. And we took a little bit of step back this year. It's, it's getting better, but it's not where we ought to be. We aren't there in equal numbers. And I've always said, I am certainly not anti-male. I am a feminist, and that means I am for females to have equal power. That's all. I'm not 
saying that all the tables ought to be full of nothing but female and we should get rid of men and men shouldn't be at the table. I always joke and say, I've got a husband, he's a man, and I have two boys and I have a couple grandsons. So I'm certainly not anti-male and understand all that goes with that. But I still believe that we need more women at tables of power. So that's my definition of the feminism that I practice. So hopefully with that, you're still listening. Um, but we want to talk about these myths and how we can continue because we've come a long way, um, and, but we still have a long way to go. So quickly to recap, and you can hear more about the myths if you go back to the other podcasts I mentioned. But to recap, myth number one, women are becoming less ambitious. Nope. The truth is women are more ambitious than ever before. And so are men. And a lot of the reason for that is because of the ability for flexible hours that COVID has brought to the new normal, if you will, of today's workforce, allowing us to spend more time with family, but also achieve more in the workplace. So we are just as ambitious or more so than ever before. Number two, the biggest barrier to women's advancement is the glass ceiling. Nope, it is what's called the broken rung, where we've pinpointed that women get behind is not getting that first promotion from an entry-level job to becoming a manager as quickly as men do. And then that makes us fall further and further behind as we continue to move up the corporate ladder. So it's not the bro- it's not the glass ceiling necessary. It's the broken rung where we start getting behind. And then the third one is that microaggressions have a micro, micro impact. The truth is microaggressions have a major impact. If you don't know what microaggressions are, go back to the last week's podcast or simply Google it. But these are little things by making assumptions about people, uh, actually doing more than making assumptions, making comments about people's culture, where you're from, what kind of food they assume you eat, um, And I used the example last week, if you're from the South, they might assume you move slowly and that maybe you're not as smart (laughs) as the rest of the world. Totally not true. Um, Another microaggression is when men tend to interrupt women more than women interrupt men. How to stand up to these things, being seen in the office by maybe a customer coming in and they see the female at the front and they assume that you're the receptionist as opposed to you may be the manager, the boss, the CEO, or the owner of the business. Those are microaggressions, but they have a huge impact on women, keeping us from speaking up. They can cause burnout. They can cause just really unhappiness at work. And we know for a fact that happy employees are better employees. So microaggressions are important to understand what they are. And then the Fourth myth, it's mostly women who want and benefit from work life, from flexible work. Nope, not true. Men want flexible work as well. Men want to spend more time with their family and have more free time, just like women do. The reason often that it's seen as more important by women is because still, gentlemen, I know some of you do as much housework as your wives, but Statistically speaking, women still carry the major burden of child care, parent care, housework, cooking, cleaning, laundry, all of those things. So obviously, 
flex time helps us with those. But men are picking up more and more. Thank you very much. And so this is important to them too. Okay, so there's our myths and there's our truths. So today we're talking about how do we overcome some of these? How do we make it better? How do we keep having strides to get more women in the workplace, more women not necessarily in the workplace because there are actually more women in the workplace than men, but at tables of power where the decisions are made, the managers, the CEOs, the VPs, all of those things. So it begins, and this sounds so simple, but it's not done in a lot of companies. It begins with tracking outcomes about the place of females in your business. Now, hear me out. First of all, let's start with that old saying, what gets measured gets done. There's that. But how do we know if we're showing improvement of promoting more women from entry level to management positions, getting more women in the interview pipeline, if you will? How do we know if we don't know what our baseline is? It's kind of like making salaries public, whether whatever you feel about that. But that is a way to start measuring it and know who's being paid what and if it's a fair equity across the board. So ask yourself, how many women were um, promoted in the past 12 months in your organization? Are we tracking the hiring, promotion, and attrition of women? We should know the numbers and share the numbers. I remember when I first became a CEO in my organization a whole lot of years ago before I founded my current career, um, Teresa Rain Consulting, I asked the question, how many female CEOs across the country were there in YMCA's? I was the CEO of a YMCA association. And the answer I got was, we don't know. I think they've since started tracking that, but that was not a good answer. They didn't know because they didn't want to know, maybe. They didn't track it, or there weren't enough of us to make a difference. Thankfully, that has changed um, a lot in over the last 30 years. But ask the questions. And ladies, if you're interviewing for a position, do your homework. See who maybe sits on the board of directors of the organization you're applying for. Check out the website and see who the leadership team. Is it equal representation, male, female, or is it heavy male with maybe one female? That's a red sign or, or yeah, that's a red flag. That's a red flag. And while you may not feel comfortable asking these questions, there's ways you can find out the answers by doing your research. So tracking, 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 all essential. Track the numbers, identify the obstacles for women, and then address any biases that you may see in performance reviews and promotions. Ladies, if you are in a position of power, you can implement these things and make them happen. Men, if you're in the position of power, you too can implement and make these things happen. We need allies that are already at those leadership tables. And then another one is to empower managers to be effective leaders. So often we promote people, excuse me, we promote people and we don't train them. We assume because they were really good widget makers and they met their sales quota and they did everything on time and that so they must need a promotion and we're going to get them to supervise all the other widget makers but we give them no training 
on how to supervise people? Do you have a program for training your managers? Because you know what? Your managers are the front line for your employees. They know what's happening most of the time, way before anybody in the C-suite does. They need support, they need training, and they need recognition for the work that they do because they're the ones that are supporting employees in DEI initiatives, their well-being, and they're navigating this whole shift to flexible work. So let's train them. It's important. And then if you hear microaggressions in your company, whether it's to you or to somebody else, speak up. Use your voice. When we let them go and we ignore them, they become worse. Or the women that are on the other end of those or the person of color, whoever it is, because these microaggressions happen not just to women, but any marginalized group, microaggressions happen to. We need to speak up. And often the person that it's happening to is not comfortable speaking up. But if we speak up on their behalf, we set the tone and the culture that it will not be tolerated. Interrupting people, making snide remarks, using, you know, all sports metaphors in company meetings where maybe not everybody cares about sports. Maybe they don't understand. There's so many microaggressions out there. Do your homework, know what they are and speak up and change your culture or set the tone that it's not tolerated. And then lastly, the full potential, understanding the full potential of flexible work. It's not one size fits all. And I understand, and I'm working with companies that are dealing with how do we manage this so that it's fair to everybody. It's not the same for everybody. Some people don't want flexible work hours. Some people want to be in the office nine to five. But you know what? The way you find out is ask. Do a company survey. Be willing to maybe try something new. And if it's not working, back up and try it again. Make changes. But communicate and ask your employees what they want. This is one of the top three benefits that people are wanting, employees are wanting now. It's right up there with health care, vacation, pay. It's being flexible. So what does that look like? It looks different for every organization, but you can't just ignore it and say, well, that doesn't impact my organization. Yes, it does. Even if your people have to physically show up, if you're in retail or food service or child care, you can still get creative and have flexible schedules for people based on what they want and what they need. Ask them and then listen. You know, these issues are not really just women's issues. They're company issues. And it has been proven over and over again that a company that listens to their employees, a company that has a diverse leadership team in everything that diversity means, age, gender, sexual orientation, diversity of personalities and thought, those companies long-term are far more successful than a company where everybody looks alike sounds and sounds alike and thinks alike. So there's a business reason for overcoming these obstacles. 
But in my mind, the most important reason is the human factor and that it's something that should be done because it's the right thing to do. Employees are humans. Employers are humans. And there's a way we can come together and we can all get what we want, if you will, or win-win if we simply talk to each other, communicate with each other, and not pretend that these things are not happening. Even if they're not happening in your company, if you don't think they're happening in your company, it's worth asking the question. It's worth asking the questions because employees know that you care and you're doing a temperature check. Even if you have the best culture in the world, you don't stop asking questions and continuing to try to get better. Just a few ideas. You can go to the entire um, report to find out more. I'll link that in the show notes. Or please go back and listen to last week's podcast we talk, where we talk more in depth about the myths and what they mean and the impacts they have on employees. But don't hesitate to think that you can make the change. You can be the change in your organization if you're willing to speak up. You've got facts. You've got data. Use it and speak up and help make the workplace that you work in the best workplace ever. So with that, I will end like I always do with my grandfather saying, which is really important when we find out that people want more flexibility. They actually want more time to do what my grandfather always told us to do, and that was to stop and take time to smell the roses. So until we meet again, take care.